If you love what you hear, check out our authors Andrea Stewart and N.A. Fulton on Amazon.com, and be sure to subscribe to our Dark Romance Novels and Stories podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcast provider. Learn more about us at audioiron.com. Pirate's Desire by Andrea Stewart. Chapter 11. With the passage of the ship into southern climes the days grew longer and warmer. Within a fortnight of her rescue, or capture as some might call it, Corwin could almost believe it was summer, not early spring. At home in England the trees would just now be acquiring leaves and new buds would be making their very first appearance on bare branches. But here on the open water the days were long and the heat was oppressive. Morning and evening Devon would pause in his work to take Corwin for a stroll on deck so she could get a breath of fresh air. Sometimes he would lead her down into the hold where the ship was cooled by the water racing past the hull. But beyond those short adventures Corwin was quartered in Devon's cabin where, even with the door wide open, there was no breeze to be found. She longed to explore the ship on her own, to sit where she could see for miles, to climb the masts and sit on the spars where the wind could find her. She feared if she asked for permission to move about on her own the request would be denied. So one midday, as most of the crew was eating their afternoon meal below decks, she crept out of Devon's cabin and slipped up the stairs to the poop deck that ran over the stern of the ship. This area of the vessel was usually reserved for the captain and first mate alone and she felt she might remain unseen here for a long time. Black and his first mate Aubrey were so actively engaged in managing the crew and so frequently working alongside their men that they rarely ventured here. She sat on the deck with her bare feet extended through the railings and looked down at porpoises that played in the ship's wake. Dressed in a shirt and breeches, toes caressed by the wind, Corwin wondered why there was a man left in England when they were all free to go to sea. If she had known this life existed, had understood the great freedom her brother enjoyed, her envy would have consumed her. When something hit the back of her head interrupting her reverie she started in surprise. Hearing something clatter to the deck she instinctively looked around to find it. She found a crude spool, empty of thread, which had somehow appeared out of nowhere. Looking behind her she saw no one. But then a shadow overhead caused her to look up. A young man, no older than she herself, with bright red hair, worn clothes and a broad grin, was standing on the lowest of the spars that ran overhead. She smiled and waved. He gave her a conspiratorial wink in return then scrambled up the mast to fix a sail. Not long after that she looked up to find an older man with a beard and pot belly sitting above her smoking a pipe. Above him she saw four men making adjustments to a sail that seemed to require no adjustment at all. No one appeared to notice her gaze and no one disturbed her as she sat. How nice it would be if she could be truly part of the crew. Over the course of the day she heard Black calling out. He issued orders that drew men down below deck then sent them back up with barrels and bales of goods. She noted, after a time, that his voice had become sharper, his language more harsh, and she found herself looking down when he emerged from the companionway shouting, 
She saw him look above her and followed his gaze. Her heart sank to see eleven men nested like brightly colored birds above and around her. She was not the only one enjoying the cool wind and the shade of Ceylon a very hot day. When she looked back to where she had seen Black standing he was gone. A moment later he was pulling her up by her collar. Without a word he took her hand and led her down the stairs and past his mate. Corwin thought the man gave her a pitying look as she was pulled into the cabin. What are you playing at? Asked Black as she dropped into a chair. I spent the whole day waiting for my orders to be carried out and calling for my crew, only to find them hanging over your head like monkeys. You never said I couldn't leave the cabin. She said defensively. Why should I not? I am not your prisoner. Neither am I your crew to be ordered about. Why should I be confined in this sweltering room day after day? Corwin saw Black biting back hard words that flew to his tongue. She and he had come to a kind of truce that allowed them to live in relative peace. He treated her as if she were a guest rather than a captive on his ship. She behaved as a guest and pretended to be confident he would carry her to Virginia at the end of the voyage. He finally spoke. The discipline of my ship requires that everyone aboard obey my orders my lady. He said carefully. My men see you taking an action they know I would find objectionable and they feel free to follow suit. Now I am forced to reprimand both you and them in order to ensure this never happens again. Well, she said carefully. You may certainly school them if they allow you to. She said. You will absolutely not school me. He said nothing. Because I have not forgotten how I came aboard your ship my lord. Nor have I forgotten our time in London. She said. I am not unconscious of the wrongs done me and I assure you I will not suffer more. She waited for him to speak. When he did not, she continued. I did not choose to sail under you and I am not a slave. And if you must order your men to do aught, you may tell them I have the liberty of a ship and they should keep to their duties. How fortunate I am to have you to instruct me in the running of my boat. Devon said grimly. I wonder how I have managed until now. I do not know. She said. And I do not care how you'll manage after I am gone. Slowly she rose. She opened the cabin door and walked out into the late afternoon sun. Hours later Devon stood on deck taking the measurements required to chart the ship's course. Around him the business of the vessel continued. The stores that had been moved to allow the shipwright to repair a leak in the hold had been returned below, the deck was clear and scrubbed clean, and the night watch was now in control of the vessel. Aubrey motioned for the second mate to take the helm and moved without apparent hurry to stand near black. His face was painted blue and gold by the dusk and the flickering lamps around them. For a long time he stood in companionable silence. Eventually he said. So what do you intend for the girl? Black took another measurement and made another note in his log. Aubrey went on. She can't ride the seas forever with us. We can't take a Spanish frigate with her aboard, much less an English merchant ship. She has no stomach for murder and mayhem and I've no stomach for seeing her driven mad. I have not yet decided what to do with her. Said Black. When I do, you shall be among the first to know my friend. Aubrey pondered this answer for a time. Then he said. Well, to my eye that girl has been ripped away from hearth and kin for no sin of her own. And she is anchored to you only because she had to choose between you and the sea. If you keep her aboard this vessel under those conditions I'll leave the ship when we next make port. I expect others will follow. Bold words. Said Devon. As you would say in my place. The plan was for you to be an earl and for me to take the ship. We were to trade across Europe, the West Indies, and throughout the colonies. Perhaps you and I might make another plan. 
but we both know I will not conspire with a man who chains an unwilling woman to his side. Devon finished his measurements, recorded them, and then walked past Aubrey to his cabin without another word. Nothing was as it should be, he found himself thinking. Nothing was as he had planned. As a small child he had known he would step into his father's title. As an abducted and brutalized boy he had held fast to that dream. As a youth he had held himself to be better than those around him, had learned to read and write and figure because those were the duties and obligations of a young lord. As a man full-grown he had schemed his return to the land of his birth and he had in fact seized back what had been taken from him. Now, because of the girl it had all fallen apart. However unwitting she had been she had ruined the work of many years. He might have grown old as an earl and died without ever having run afoul of Lord Norfolk. He certainly would never have killed the man. The moment she had led him outside had been his undoing. She had turned him into a puzzle piece that didn't fit into the world. There was no place for him anymore. He could not go forward to the life he had planned so he must go back to the one he had left behind. He had thought he had lost all he had to lose, but it seemed she meant to deny him his ship and his crew as well. Black entered the cabin to find it illuminated by one low light. The girl had fallen asleep, a book in one slender hand, and he sat in a chair to study her. She who had caused all this misery, this person who he should have hated, was now a fever in his blood. She had become the center of his world even as it become ever more clear he would have to let her go. Even if he could keep her against her will, even if he could withstand what would soon become rage and revulsion, Aubrey and many of his men would not. In a matter of days when they finally made port, Black would have to set about sending her home. The only thing he had to confirm, the one thing he must be sure of, was that she was not carrying his child. If she were pregnant, he could not let her take the babe back to London. He could not allow his son or daughter to be called bastard and treated like a pariah. He would keep Corwin until after the child came and then he would send her back to her country and to the life she had left behind. If she were not pregnant he could make arrangements as soon as the ship made port. He thought of her safe at home. Away from London, away from pirates, among bucolic peaceful people who wanted nothing more from life than a square of land to farm and a pint of cider with the evening meal. Knowing her as he did he felt confident that she would find a man who did not care one whit how she'd spent a few missing months at sea. He knew she could not make a marriage among the peerage but he also knew she had a title in her own right and she would be happy with the country squire or the younger son of some minor lord. If she loved a man it would not matter his station in life. She would find a way to live happily with him until the end of her days. Suddenly jealous of a man he had only just imagined, Devon rose, pulled off his clothes, and joined Corwin in bed. He pulled her sleeping form close to him and felt her shift as if they shared one soul. He kissed her hair caressed her back, and tried not to imagine what his life would be like when she was gone. Less than a week later Corwin woke alone to find blood between her legs. Leaving bed she washed herself then used some of the soft bandages she had put away so long ago to create for herself a crude belt such as she might have worn at home. Her face flushed at what her captain might make of her state. Surely he must know enough about women to understand they bled once a month. He was no fool and she was not the first woman he had taken to bed. If she must suffer the truth of such things so must he. Once bound up she took up a book and left the room in search of fresh air. An hour later Black returned to his cabin. He found the girl gone, the drawer where the bandages were stored open, and a little blood in the chamber pot. His heart fell even as he thanked whatever gods there might be that he could soon send the girl home. 
Later in the day he found her standing on the third spar of the foremast, one hand holding a book and the other grasping a rat line. She was staring out at the horizon, hair flying, wind pulling her loose clothing hard against her lithe body. He knew the memory of the moment would be burned into his soul forever. She was truly the most beautiful creature on earth. As he climbed the mast he saw her sit down. She looped one of her legs in the ladder of rope she had used to climb to her lofty position and looked over at him. Come to discipline me again? He finished his climb and came to sit beside her. He offered her a kerchief filled with bread and cheese and was happy when she took it. Thank you my lord. She said in a softer tone. He watched her begin to eat. You seem at home aboard ship. He said. It is hard to imagine you wearing gowns every day and doing no more by way of exercise than strolling the grounds of your estate. I rode. She said without looking at him. I managed the harvest. I tended to those on my lands. I hope you do not believe I was idle. No. I suppose I do not. He said. I'm sorry to have taken you so far away from where you were happy. She looked up at him in surprise. Was this some kind of apology? Something in his face, a kind of sadness and resignation, made the food in her mouth turn to ashes. In two days we reach Port Royal. He said. There I will put you aboard a ship bound for Cornwall. You might be home in a month. He said. I hope that will undo some small part of what I have done. No. She said. You will take me to Virginia. You have carried me this far and now you must take me to my brother. There is nothing in England for me. Surely you can see that. The English navy fills those waters and my ship is known. Would you see everyone on this vessel die on a scaffold? He asked. I left England reviled. I was as hated as you. I cannot go back alone. She said. And I will not be handed over to strangers like mail in any case. Take me to my brother. It must be a matter of ten days. No. It would take several weeks. For one thing, we would be running against the wind. And do you imagine I'll walk into a naval shipyard with you in tow and say here is the girl I stole from that ship I sank? He shook his head. I can swiftly and safely return you to the West Country. It is the only sensible course of action in this circumstance. What right have you to determine where I go and what I do? And why should I trust you? Why should I trust anyone you give me to? She demanded. What else can you do my lady? he asked. Ignoring her stunned expression he stood and walked back to the mast. Moments later he was back on deck giving orders to his crew, clearly telling her he was abandoning her in a pirate stronghold to someone she had never met was the easiest thing on earth. Desire by Andrea Stewart, voice recording copyright 2019 by Nancy Fulton, music by Alexander Shavarev licensed from Pond 5.